All right, Dennis, how's it going? I'm doing well. How are you, Kevin? Good. This is the first uh, podcast, not our first podcast record. We've been working on some other materials, but this is the first uh, like structured episode. I know. I thought this day would never come. I, I thought we would chalk this up to just sort of something where we would uh, talk about on our work trips. But I, I'm, I've had a lot of fun with the throwback and listening to the other ones that you've done, and excited to do this one. So I, I was going to tell a story about my personal excitement when we were. So you and I were trying to work on a different podcast, and the idea fell through because it was way too much work, and we're a little lazy. <laughs> yes, exactly. Which you, which people will hear roughly, you know, the premise of the podcast in uh, an upcoming episode. Um, but b- my excitement was, well, I've got thirty years of like career frustrations brewing that I'd like to talk about, and I miss Dennis because, you know, with the pandemic, you and I haven't been traveling together for work or really, you know, having much interaction at all together in person. So I thought, you know, what a great, uh, what a great opportunity, two birds, one stone. I'm going to call you up every week and rant about something that nobody else will listen to me about, you know, that I've, I've collected over the last, you know, 30 years of, of working in information security. Yes. And, and I love listening to your rant. So this is quite the silver lining for the year of 2020. <laughs> and I, I was so excited when I called you and made us switch the podcast to the premise that I actually forgot to get gas. And I ran out of gas and had to walk two miles to a gas station <laughs> with my dog and uh, get a gallon of gasoline. So hopefully that sets sets everybody up and their expectations up. Uh, so you and I work together. This has nothing to do with our uh, our current work. Um, this is just, uh, you know, a personal project you and I have been uh, working about and thinking about, you know, so definitely, I guess we'll, we'll get that out of the, the way we're not talking about, um, you know, anything that's, that's recent professional experience in terms of that. Most of this stuff will be kind of abstract, um, concepts for, for the most part, maybe we'll talk about news, even that's a little dicey. Um, you know, we have so many, uh, um, so many things going on. And I I think some of the things we're going to talk about is just, they will reminisce so much with everybody or hopefully they resonate that I don't want people to think we're talking about them because of just like some specific thing. So um, I'll put maybe my uh, 10 or 20 rule into place where I don't talk about anything that I've, you know, (laughs) anything specific of the last 20 years. So, Um, (laughs) yeah, well, I think you've curated a great list of topics too um, for us to cover that are sort of timeless. Right. Uh, So I think it'll be good to to dive into those and not have to worry about, you know, I'm sure there's plenty of podcasts out there that are discussing the security news of the day. Yeah. And that seems like a lot of work because you can't really pre-record those very well. So. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And that also does not align with our, uh, our shared laziness. Um, why don't you take a stab at explaining the premise of the podcast just so that you prove to me that you understand it? <laughs> oh, God. Okay. Uh, so I think the premise is... That, that this podcast would sort of mimic a lot of our conversations that we would have probably post. Okay, the audience wasn't, wasn't at the dinner table in Krakow in November of 19. So yeah, well, I was about to abstract this. I was going to say, I was just going to say like that, that this is going to mimic those conversations that we would have not only in Krakow, but in other places, right. Where we just sort of, uh, will basically it would begin with you 
uh, ranting about some sort of topic, and then it involves me trying to uh, maybe play a little bit of devil's advocate or more likely just egging you on uh, to keep the rant going even longer. Um, so I think that, uh, that that's what, how, what I'm envisioning. Yes, I, I think we've been uh, uh, described as the Bert and Ernie of information security. Um, both do our physical dimensions and, uh, just our dynamic. I'm like a fun, you know, Bert. No, I'm a fun Ernie. You're You're a serious deadpan Bert (laughs) Mm -hmm. who, uh, you know, we both love rubber duckies. Okay. So I think that that's right. But the, the, the exact premise is I'm going to give you a statement up front I'm going to, we're going to spend 30 minutes talking about it or roughly 30 minutes. We'll try to keep, maybe, yeah, you should keep an eye on the clock. We'll both try to keep an eye on the clock. And then at the end of that segment, basically debate club style, you're going to give me a one to 10. And, oh, I have also sealed a one to 10 for you to check against. So... I'm gonna oh, okay. So you right are like yeah, prejudging how, how 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 much uh, I believe in the how concept. much influence you have over me, basically. No, I'm going to tell you how much I actually believed. I guess maybe that's could we create a metric of influence, which is how much I believe it minus how much you believed it. Mm, that sounds complicated. But so <laughs> are we basically saying that you, when at that the number that I'm giving you is how much I think that you believe your own statement or how much you have convinced me to your No, how much I've convinced you. And then we're just going to for fun okay, look great. at the yeah, number of I how like much it. I believe. Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. But you so pre-sealed the, these things. So you are really yeah. going all off of just only prior conversations. Yeah, this, if you check your signal, you'll see a link and you can go to that link and then follow that link. To the two. I do see this link. Okay, perfect. Um, well, don't if you can't get to it later, we'll we'll fit around with it and, and make sure that the reveal works. Don't worry. Uh, Immediately came four hundred four, so we're all good. <laughs> <laughs> Inconsistency with the amount of preparation. Four hundred four, four hundred five, whatever it takes, Dennis. Um, the first segment, Dennis. It's official. We have a podcast. Anybody can do it. I have a secret. Okay. Share it. The worst major, like university major, for somebody who wants to become an information security professional is computer science. Well, okay. As a computer science major myself, I'm very interested to hear what you have to say. Okay. And I was a computer science. How long? So you, you were a computer science major for all four years in college. Correct. Okay, I have you beat because I was a computer science major for seven years, though it was only two years worth of credits uh, because I was a lovable dropout. But um, we'll we'll talk about that. I did go back to school later. People are going to complain about it. Um, okay, so first, I want to I want to do a little bit of a lightning round here. So, what majors do you think would be worse than a computer science degree? for a computer for, for a computer security professional. You tell hmm. me, like you pick a major that you think you you really believe has nothing to do <laughs> with information security. And I will, I think I could draw some connection that I think is more valuable than computer science, but let's, wow. let's play that game for two. Uh, sure. I mean, I'll, yeah, it's I'll on you. pick some obvious ones. I mean, I guess I would say if you were an English major or a history okay. major. In, okay. Let's break these down. English major. Mhm. 
technical writing and writing. I mean, if, if you can't explain to another human being in writing what you've done with um, a level of precision and uh, in certain cases, um, you know, understanding the rhetorical value, like let's say that somebody doesn't have enough background uh, you know, you're working on some 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 technical security issue. Um, maybe you're a consultant. Um, they don't have enough, you know, maybe uh, a, a background to totally understand um, building a a precise path of language and explaining that issue um, efficiently and effectively. I think, and I would that that was like one of the things that came into my mind when I was creating this premise. As I got way more out of English classes. Um, even though I hated them, like, I, I don't want to read a book and write a, an essay, but that anal, that analysis and writing, um, actually, if you look at like across the board, the information security people, as they come from maybe more technical backgrounds or some other area, I think writing is one of their weakest points. So English, I'm going to say right off the bat, more, way more valuable than computer science. Okay. Well, I mean, I guess, you know, obviously I'm would take umbrage with the way that we are scoring these things. Okay. Because well, we're not scoring them yet. No, no, no. I know that okay. we're not scoring them yet, but I'm just saying, right? Like if that, I do not uh, disagree with you that effective written communication is a por- important part of okay. the security work that we do. However, right. It, like, I, like I, I mean, your personal background is coming very much to light in your explanation of why English is more valuable than CS because, you know, and th- this is something I'm taking for granted that the audience won't know, but right. Like I I've been able to hear about your um, personal upbringing, right. And how early and ju- not only how early, but just how immersed in okay. computer stuff it is. So you learned your stuff Fair. way before going to college. Fair. So by the time so you we'll- got there, yeah. So let's separate this. You know, we've got these. Let's let's hit the liberal arts a little bit because I think that that's like the first dart you threw and the thir- first dart a lot of people listening to the premise might throw is, and then we'll get into kind of those technical majors. Um, and I'm not throwing out the entire like engineering department, you know, in terms of, of value and things like that. Um, but let's let's kind of separate that. The other one I think you mentioned was history, right? Which uh, again, like history is mostly about writing, but the ability to, you know, analyze, I, I mean, the, the, the good history classes that I'll put into this category, and I haven't taken a ton of them, but the good history classes, you're reading historical essays and historical works and things like that. And then you're writing, you know, some type of analytical bend on it. So I think it's even maybe a, got a, a plus one on, on English of combining critical thinking and, effective writing to some degree. So I think that those two are linked um, uh, I, I to, to that, that extent. So, yeah. yeah. And, okay. and I, I would say that the good history classes definitely seem to an, like force you to think about why things happen. I had, a, yeah, I had a really good one when I, when I went back to college and, and uh, I think again, I learned a lot about writing and communication. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So what languages like foreign languages, I mean, we're international businessmen. How how many times have you and I been trapped in an Uber and not sure if we were going to get dropped off at a uh, a pierogi place or some type of uh, uh, underground human trafficking <laughs> sale? You never know, right? 
Yeah, I, I would say you have been the absolute best person that I've traveled with internationally. You become very prepared with uh, your printed out um, destination names in the native language and laminated. And well, so, before like, we had reliable phone service. Now that we have reliable phone service, I think true. Uh, but I mean, the fact I guess- that you go the extra mile to laminate to just prevent you know from any <laughs> you know excess humidity or spillages. Okay, like come on. You are you are definitely a prepper for sure. Okay, um, and you know there is something about just how learning a language impacts your mind and a couple of other things where I just think that that there's other benefits there. Plus, you got to get away for the weekend. You speak fluent Spanish. You know how many great island vacations you can go on. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean mm-hmm. that really opens up a world in and of itself. So. Uh, that's, that's my rough spin on foreign language. Uh, maybe a a bit of a stretch there, but, um, like education and elementary, uh, or like, or, you know, like I I was saying elementary education, cause that's the one I remember, but I'm sure there's like education majors all the way through there. Um, but I think that's another really sore spot in terms of, well, and as I mean, just in general, information security people, information security awareness, teaching people in a meaningful way about um, how to act as users and safety. I, I mean, I, three weeks ago, my mom, who has a PhD, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, downloaded the wrong app, and you know, so I don't know, sent sent her credits, <laughs> you know, some banking credentials or oh. something like that. You know, it's just a, it's that user layer uh, in the general populace. You know, how do we convey information effectively to them? As a non-education major, it's hard for me to talk about the specifics of of what kind of things you would get there. But certainly, security awareness, teaching, course development. All those types of things are um, actually pretty, pretty, uh, pretty marketable skills, right? I mean, if you can develop content for, um, you know, security education in a number of different, like technical, deep, you know, deep technical um, security courses or what, I mean, there's, there's a big market there. So I think that that's a, a pretty good skill. Yeah. And I, you know, you could argue that the education is pretty much at the core of what we're trying to do. Right. Um, In the real world. Yeah. Yeah. These mistakes are getting made because people don't know better because of, you know, like a lot of failing of computer science programs, right? That that's what's producing. Oh, now. So it sounds like I already convinced you. Well, (laughs) okay. Let's stop now and give me a 10. (laughs) Let's unseal the envelope. But uh, no, I mean, seriously, what I'm curious about, right. And I, and I don't want to take you off track, but I'm, I'm curious about, you know, what particular darts you want to throw at what the CS programs focus okay. on. Okay. So let's, let's talk about that. So computer science is pretty exclusively the classes within the computer science major you take are at various levels programming or software language, uh, like compiler design, those types of classes. They're all about software development at a layer that's zoomed in so far that there is like no concept of security or trust or what you're doing when you're going through those classes. Now, so that's the broad statement, um, but there's a lot of other factors that I want to, even before I get your initial impressions here, right? CS 
I think is largely, and you know, every, every university is going to be different, but you and I, I think went to schools where, I mean, all of your, most of your CS professors are like tenured professors or like full professors, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. most of your classes were taught. So what, if any practical experience building applications and software development did they have? Excellent question. I have no idea. But very, probably very Pro- little, right? Yeah, the, in order they, they to all become, struck me as being very academic, yes. In order to become a tenured professor like that, they're, they're not really going to sell software or build software that's ever going to see any adversarial pressure. So I think that they miss these lessons and then stop on, stop and then don't pass on other lessons. So in, in general, I think that there's a complete lack of security consciousness in the development. Now there are some security specific classes, but I believe I, in my opinion, they all, everyone I took always delved into, you know, how basic crypto works, you know, uh, or something like that, which I think is absurd and impractical for most people to ever roll their own crypto. I'm not saying that there's not a, a learning benefit to doing it, but I also think that very few professors, um, you know, get to a level where they understand the practical implementation errors that most security people are going to find in real life. Like, um, yeah, like some type of Oracle or implementation or like even the people doing, you know, hands-on solid work, finding practical crypto bugs in the world world. Um, they're not finding problems with the math either. They find some quirk to, beat the compute power or they find some flaw in the implementation or something, you know, 99 times out of 10, but 99 times out of 10. Anyway. So <laughs> I don't, I don't think that the crypto stuff is much of a leg to stand on us. Now the other thing, and this is, I, I want to hear your experience. So a professor gives you a project mm-hmm. and the project is defined as what, how, what is the, the rubric for, for, completing completing a project in let's let's pick a junior senior level year cs programming class what 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 do they give you what's the assignment so i definitely remember there being uh, a class where we formed a software development team right they split the class up into like teams of five or six and they this was the closest thing class-wise to work to you know uh, real world experience, I thought, and sure. they basically the professor him, himself acted like the customer, right? So they printed out requirements, and we had to, you know, some of us had to be the business analysts, right, or like you know, kind of take on that role. Some of us mm-hmm. had to be the architect. Some of us had to be the QA, like the testing branch, and um, you know, we had to go as a team to be like, hey, you know, you said this, and this is what we're going to build you. And then, of course, you know, they do the thing like, oh, yeah, nope, that requirement changes halfway through or something like that. Okay. So, yep. It so was they were pretty... trying to simulate a professional development environment. Yes. But that was certainly the minority. That was in that. Okay. Was the and even in that of the class, even in that best example. Yes. Was there ever, ever any discussion of a security requirement? And I'm going on a limb here because. You know, I, I we didn't have this conversation beforehand, but I'm going out on a limb, and I, I I'm wondering was there any even no. functional or non functional security requirement discussed in that project? No, and okay. And I, the reason why I do like your topic too is that I mean, just to take that point one bit further with my experience in the entirety of all the classes that I took in four years uh, in computer science, there was only one time ever in any 
project and it was like a single programming project in a class, right? So like, you know, just once out of four years, did they ever be like, you know, one of the grading criteria that they didn't tell us about was unexpected input and not even from like a security perspective, but just to see if our programs okay. would fall over. Right. Right. And that, that was it. And it did sort of like, that's, be like, Oh, I never thought that you would do. I that. think that that hints at my, my anticipated answer. When I asked you, how is a computer? So I think 99 out of 10 99 <laughs> computer out of 10. science I need a class. bumper sticker with that, by the yeah, way. 99, 99 out of 10. 10. They give you an expected output, right? Maybe they give yeah they give you an expected input and expected output or something like that right so they're judging one hundred percent on can your code functionally do this thing here is an unsorted list give me a sorted list when I run mm -hmm. your code as an yep. argument right and that leads to this development behavior when you're working on the code plus you have a deadline and as kids we procrastinate or whatever but here here is my memory of every single one of those projects. Me sitting with two terminals, one terminal where I had my project open and the other terminal where I had my compiler open. And I would edit this project in one and rerun it. And it would just be like segfault, segfault, segfault works. Okay, let me go to my next loop. Segfault, segfault, <laughs> yes. segfault yep. work. Like I, you do not do the math plan. You never design a piece of software. You build it in these little chunks that, I mean, and usually we're working with languages, even if we're using like object-oriented languages. And this is where I get probably you and I, our experience are, are maybe a little dated, but I went and looked at some recent curriculum. There's still a lot of you know, languages where you have to manage memory yourself. But even if you're not doing that, there's other types of security problems that you could have with your code. But every one of those seg faults, I guarantee was an exploitable buffer overflow. Like, <laughs> you know, like, mm. it, and these are like, I'm, mm -hmm. it's not just local, you know, take an argument to a file, although I think that that is a big deal. Um, but I, you know, the, the compounded issue of that is a lot of the code I wrote was like network socket code, right? <laughs> so <laughs> like zero, oh, yeah. so, you know, so that's gonna, that's gonna lead to, you know, a complete, I'm, I, I, I almost looked for a, any one of the many projects I wrote, um, you know, in, in my curriculums, cause later on, so I was a computer science major then went and did network technology major where I was still writing code, a lot of code more so for network implementation things. And I think any one of those projects, um, you know, would, would likely be, you know, totally remote exploitable. <laughs> that that is what I would love. I wish I had some of my old code, um, but like my series in college of probably gateway laptops uh, and desktops, you know, did not survive. Mm -hmm. Those things got fried. Uh, but um, you know, it, it's it is interesting though. Like I'm wondering if other people in other um, you know disciplines that we're talking about, right? Like these college majors. Like, you know, that you, you write something, you write your code, you come back, you look at it, like heaven forbid, you come back and you look at it a year later and you just think, what the hell was I thinking? You know, like, I, I wonder if that phenomenon, like I, that I your, mean, your understanding of something so drastically changes and you're just like, what was I thinking when I wrote this? Right. Like I, also, I, it's like the day after you write, you know, that project you've been working on for three weeks, you accidentally delete it. 
and then you could rewrite it in 15 minutes in a much oh, yeah. more, you know, a much yes. more way. But let, you know, this isn't a, necessarily about that. But let's 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 kind of keep keep on a, a couple of threads that I didn't talk about. What okay. I, I know very few people who actually learn how to program in classes. Now, I'm not saying that they're not out there. I'm not saying it's not valuable. And I'm not saying like CS wouldn't be a valuable minor in some capacities. But I'm talking about as a major to get into computer security. If you know already that you have a pa- passion for computer security. I think you're the type of person or, or maybe, or, or you're going to need to be a, a type of person that has a, um, intellectual drive and I, that, that you're, there's so many good resources for learning everything that you could learn from the CS, uh, curriculum in a more concise, direct and modern tech stack variant of it by just doing it, you know, yourself with, given free resources or maybe even paid resources that are are a little bit more specific to what what types of software you want to develop what types of projects you want to work on pick on a pick out a project and then start figuring out what you have to do to do it but i i just i know very few at least very few good programmers or people that stuck with it where they really learned how to code in school i think oh, that they yeah the the best guys in our cs program those guys came in knowing how to do everything because and I don't want to foreshadow your throwbacks and stuff, but you know, because they had these jobs early on, right. They, they had some, some job or just an intense interest that they would be doing this stuff in their personal time. You know, I I certainly was not the best, but I, I definitely had a lot of personal time programming, you know, outside of school stuff, uh, prior to get in college. So now there's adjacent technical majors and one liberal arts major we didn't discuss that I think are, pretty much the crux at the, at, at the zoom out level and the zoom in level. So one, the thing that I didn't learn um, that I do think would be useful. And I have spent some time trying, I've, I've over the years tried to plug a little bit of this gap and is actually understanding fundamentally how computers and, you know, base level logic and low level languages like assembler, like they give learning those languages require an understanding of computer architecture that at a software security, you know, if you're going to get into software security, which we were, I think the premise originally is just information security, but if we're going to talk about or compute, you know, computer security, software security being a subset and a very important subset of that, um, I think that something like, um, computer engineering where they, you know, they, they combine some low level stuff, some programming and some, uh, electrical engineering concept. I think that that, that is a, a more reasonable swipe. So I'll, I'll, I'll take that. Um, and the high level thing, the one, the liberal, do you, do you know what I'm going to say? I mean, we're, we'll probably do another, shared secret about just thing, but do you know, do you know what I think would be the most impactful if you knew today that you were going to gonna go into information security and you came to me for advice, you know, what major I would tell you to go for? Uh, I'm taking a total shot in the dark here because I do not know what your answer is, but I'm going to say psychology. Nope. Close. But my thing is economics. Oh my gosh. I should have totally gotten that. Okay. I, and yep. and we'll I'm, I'm sure we'll hear more about this as as time goes on, but if you take you know that that not economics purely in terms of of um, in its 
economics as a science, like the study of incentive models and how uh, uh, how econs, you know, the perfect little people are going to act. You know, why are they doing what they're doing, right? So we have the incentive model of the people attacking us, which largely I don't care about and don't think is so relevant. And and we'll we'll I'm sure have another ten episodes about that. Um, to me, it's just kind of white noise out there. Uh, we've got to protect our stuff for, from whoever is going to get it. I think we spend maybe too much time thinking about specific like motivations of attackers and, and things like that. But the, but where do the problems come from? And what was the incentive model in place that led to an exploitable condition, right? We find a defect in a piece of software. Man, uh, Tim had a deadline. And Tim's bonus is about getting that deadline met and not uh, – so he kind of fell back to that old computer science, seg fault, seg fault, seg fault. It works, right? Um, yep. You know, So if you, if you look at the incentive models of developers that get code out the door, the incentive of a business, like is a business really going to be impacted if they slow down to do a bunch of security stuff um, you know, before they go to market? Well – security is not emergent, right? It's going to be very hard for them to even know when, if ever, they're going to be bit by a problem. And I think some of the biggest problems we see, um, you know, were situations where security was non-emergent for a long time. And then a simple problem, you know, ended up coming back. I I mean, just a a non-specific example, but I think like, uh, a, a huge number, 99 out of 10 programs I see incentivize the same person to find problems and fix problems, right? Mm -hmm. So let's say that they're not tracking on their fixed problem goals. What are they going to do? Focus on fixing more problems and focus on finding problems less, right? Because again, with kind of security being non-emergement, we we dial down the defect discovery tool or whatever for for a while. We're going to be able to catch up, you know, let's shift everybody over to closing out those last eight bugs and stop finding. That doesn't mean that stuff isn't there, right? And... Um, it's totally, it, it, it's, it's broken like that. Um, so, but you know, you separate those two incentive models and you have one team focused and, and incentivized to find as many issues as they can find one team incentivized to fix those, you know, you'll start to naturally, uh, kind of, kind of rebalance some of those issues. Um, so I think that like, yeah, we could all be, I, I consider, um, being a good security economist as a, as I'm looking at different issues and things like that, an important aspect. And I also just think like, well, what if you don't end up wanting to do, I mean, that, that is, I think in general is the most flexible, um, most flexible business science, even business. We didn't talk about like business and marketing. I think that those are better than computer science, maybe not as good as economics. <laughs> All right. Well, hold on. I'm just going to do a time check here. So is it time to unseal the envelope? I, I think so. But first, before we unseal the envelope, um, I'm not going to digitally insert a drum roll because who knows where to find a uh, royalty-free drum roll. But, uh, how did I do with you first? I, What's your one to ten? My one to ten on you convincing me that this that CS is yeah, the of, worst uh, of the premise that CS is the worst university major for somebody. Uh, okay, so with ten being that you've totally convinced me that CS is the worst major. Yeah, ten being that you're going to go out and start telling other people this. Okay. I think I, I you know, I don't know. I I'm, I think I am at a you've brought up some good points. I don't think that you really took the legs out of CS and sort of explained why CS itself was so bad, but okay. so I'll put Fair. myself at maybe like a 4 because of that. 
Oh, <laughs> okay. oh, 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 oh. <laughs> that hurts. Well, uh, let's uh, let's uh, a rough start. Okay. Can can you get to the uh, the envelope? Okay, let me check. I'm, I'm loading it again. Okay, yeah. yes, I'm clicking the link now. And I, shall I just read it aloud? Yeah. On a scale of one to ten, Kevin believes this to be six true. <laughs> so, so you gave me so a four, and I got a six. Yeah, and it was that, my premise. So that's pretty. It's a two. That, the metric is 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 there's a two gap between. Uh, you know, I, I I think that that's pretty good. Okay. Um. Well, that's the main segment for the show. Yes, but just talking to you did not uh <laughs> did not keep my my appetite. Uh, a wet. I had to uh, come up with an excuse to call a bunch of my friends and include them on the project. Mm-hmm. So, in addition to this, uh, we've recorded and, um, yeah, something of a, a throwback hack segment. So, um, in this uh, episode of Throwback Hacks, hold on a second. Let me just drink a beep, 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 beep. People love that too. They're supposed to fill the dead air. You'll work. You'll <laughs> okay. Yeah. Air. I will get better at this. Okay. Um, okay. So the first one, uh, this is my buddy, Mike Dop, Dop Heidi. Um, so he's kind of been there and done that. Uh, I think he's been working even a little bit longer than I have. Uh, he spent most of his adult life working on cool security problems and in, including uh, securing top 10 supercomputers. Training the FBI on incident response, hacking networks and apps at a top five bank, and currently works at ESNet on a large scale, on large scale uh, security problems like uh, making intrusion detection systems work in next generation networks, things like that. So um, he's also a pretty badass woodworker. So on this episode, like uh, all episodes of the Throwback Hacks, we'll talk about um, you know Dop and, and me as kids and some hijinks we got into with computers. All right, Dop, thanks for making the time. No problem, Kevin. Glad I could join. Okay, now here's where I prove to everybody that my memory is better about the 90s than it is about last week. You ready? I'm ready. I am going to try to describe the computers of my guests when I met them. Is that a fun game or no? Yeah, I'm trying, I'm trying to remember when you met me. Okay, well, I have that too. <laughs> okay. Did you know that I think we met, I mean, met both, I, I'm going to include online presence because I think I, fet you, I met you first online. Yeah, that's true. But I am pretty sure that we met via Unix talk request on Monolith in like late 1995. That sounds about right. Sounds right. And at the time... You, the computers you were using then is your dad had a network of two early Pentiums. I think they were P75s or P90s maybe. And I'm going to say that they had, you know, at the time it would have been like eight or maybe 12 if he was able to cram 12 megs of RAM in there or something like that. But they were running a Windows 95 network for some like CAD drafting printer setup type of thing. Is that true? That is really accurate. Um, my first jump on the internet was with his first computer, which was a Pentium 60 um, that had that floating math. Okay. Error. So that was one of them. Um, yeah. I think that was yep. ended up being so the second one. That must have been one of them. And then the other, yeah, I think the other okay. one was a Pentium 90. It was, he said, yeah, he had but you had business. an Ethernet. 
you had like a 10 base two ethernet between them and we're running a, probably originally windows three one one network for work groups. And then you upgraded to windows. You were an early windows 95 adopter is what I specifically remember. As sad as that is. Your yes, dad was accurate. With your help. Okay. Um, now, after that, if that wasn't accurate, I also think that your college computer was like a Dell Pentium 133 running Nomad Linux using Afterstep eventually as your window manager. That is accurate. Completely accurate. <laughs> okay. So that puts us, I mean, we have known each other for 25 years-ish. Uh, so I was, you know, early teens, maybe not even quite technically a teen yet. You were just barely driving and, uh, we were just computer kids, like in a pretty crazy time. <laughs> uh, I, I always tell people like, we just kind of grew up at the right time to be computer people. Like, because like, as computers got slightly more complicated, like we were getting just slightly you know, smart enough or maturing along with them. Um, but yeah, we had, I mean, it was just kind of crazy for being both from the same small Midwestern town. There was, you know, eight, nine, maybe 10 of us that were all computer kids, right? Yeah. And uh, I mean, I think I learned about stuff before I even had a computer really at home. Um, and I mean, it's a good time to mention it because there was that weird, uh, that weird club a lot of us were in, the Explorers or whatever. That yeah, it was an offshoot of the Boy Scouts. Yeah, I I got invited to that. I think you guys were doing that slightly before even I was was maybe in the mix. I remember when you guys were going off to college, Trent inviting me to it to kind of hand it down a little bit. You know, me and me and uh, our, our buddy uh, Wart being a couple years younger. You know, we kind of continued doing that for for quite a while. But um, it, yeah, like in in these like very generous people uh you know ran this basically this like boy scout offshoot computer and all they did is uh, basically they let us go to a a a local major industry business and play around on their network it was pretty insane like mostly we played doom but we also did like hijinks on their network yeah yeah like i mean completely unsupervised like they would let us in and then we would just be running amok on these engineering (laughs) workstations i I think one out of every four times they would ask us ask us to like actually work on some sort of like problem, <laughs> like if they couldn't get a printer to work or something. But for the most part, I you know Doom, then then Quake, and they had a CD burner. It was like the first CD burner I was ever around. But yeah, but it was. Um, all, I mean, our motivation. Wow. And then the. I mean, like as, as I remember, our motivation was to play Doom or, or Warcraft One, and we had to learn yeah, how to do we, networking we to net- do it. Like, yeah, because we could only play two player video games at that point via modem like and it was you know like elaborate okay you call me <laughs> i'm waiting and then you you would deathmatch over you know modem uh you know they're probably 33 6 modem if you were lucky or 20 28 8 modem if you were lucky and then so that was it like that was the extent of these like first early first person shooter networking stuff so we would go there once a week probably pretty much to play games now we also this started a little bit um maybe later but do you remember the pearl unix special interest group in town that was like an offshoot of the q links 
um, which was like the internet special user, the internet kind of users forum in the mid nineties. Like the internet was so new that our buddy's dad ran, ran, ran a, a special meeting at the library to, to share, you know, like user community stuff about the internet it sounds insane. But, um, do you remember either of those things, either the one at the library or I guess more importantly, the, uh, the other meeting, the Pearl Unix SIG, which actually I think your cousin, Tom, yeah, he, he was like the yeah. president of yeah, he did. Like that and, special interest group. I only remember like a couple meetings, though. I don't know if I, I couldn't drive yet and couldn't go to them or if it just didn't I, really have a big following. I, I think it started after I think it just started maybe like as you guys were were leaving to go to college, because I remember that one of the, one of the first ones that Greg was already working at the ISP. But the point being is that there was this Unix special interest group. And that's really where I, I started kind of hanging out at this you know, local internet service provider, you know, being around that crowd. And, and that's pretty much, I think, what we're going to focus on for, for today, um, for talking about these kind of like, um, I guess I'll put it, you know, like our adolescent, you know, hijinks, like our juvenile delinquency was mostly related to doing bad computer stuff or computer stuff we probably shouldn't have been doing. I, I right. guess it was like, I don't want to say it was, you know, it was like hacking wasn't, um, I don't know. It just didn't feel, it felt like a knowledge and an exercise thing, especially if, it, and it had maybe a little bit more of a, of a, uh, uh, this is a fun use of creative problem solving than now where it's, it's just like, Oh, somebody's trying to s scam to make money or whatever. <laughs> I don't, I don't know if, how much of that still exists for, um, but yeah, back. So back then, yeah, there were, there was all these kind of hijinks. So, um, and this, this internet service provider was our internet service provider. It was also across the street from my junior high. So I would sometimes like stop in there after school some days and just see what was going on. But, um, did, what, what was, what was your kind of early memories of, of, uh, you know, that internet service provider as just a user, maybe even before we get into kind of any of the, the hacks or anything like that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> so yeah, going back to what you said, like, you know, about the, the, the mischief or whatever we caused, like, it didn't really feel like it was wrong, I guess at the time, just kind of playing around, but like, because like hacking mm -hmm. wasn't in the news or anything like that, but like, you know, technically speaking, uh, I think someone told me once, oh, that's wire fraud. I'm like, what? What's wire fraud? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and we would do it to each other. And and that was kind of fair game. Like when, you know, when one of us was running running Linux or we would give each other shell accounts and it was not uncommonplace for, you know, when somebody would dial in, you would, you know, shell into their server and, and try to get, you know, root, root access or whatever. Um, you know, that happened to me a bunch of times with... Uh, with folks where, you know, you'd like, Oh, it's cool to give people shell accounts on your com computer. And then immediately you get hacked and, <laughs> and have to rebuild. Right. Right. Yeah. But I remember the, I mean, the same building across the street from the junior high, which was kind of weird. And I think it was, it was like, didn't it like share the building with like a dentist office or something? Um, yeah, they, they rented like a, an apartment from, from the, the dentist across the hall. I think the dentist maybe owned the building. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I remember the place and, and it also, like, we knew everyone that worked there. Like, so it wasn't like, you know attacking. right and that that was kind of what I, the the yeah the extension of it is like okay well we became friends with them so now they're our friends and <laughs> and we could do this and probably not get in in and, and also just the rule you know the kind of the the rule of like we didn't want to break stuff we a, a, occasionally maybe accidentally did disrupt something or, or break something but never 
never intentionally I, for for sure yeah yeah and usually just we were yeah most most times it was, let's, oh, let's, let's fix let's fix this or upgrade this because i need this functionality <laughs> Uh, kind of thing. <laughs> well, that was your thing. I, well, I mean, let's 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 kind of get into it. So, so you know, at this uh, you know early internet service provider, nineteen ninety five, nineteen ninety six, the 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 kind of community centered around us having you know Unix shell access to these uh, some of these uh, quote quote unquote servers. But uh, do you want to talk a little bit about kind of your your first introduction to that Unix and and maybe get into some of your your kind of early hacks. Sure. Um, yeah, like you said, you know, uh, monolith.bcl.net, you know, like I'll never forget the name, you know, the IP address, you know, 199.3.14.5. Its yeah. IP was 199.3.14.5. Yep. yep, yep. <laughs> oh, okay, we both know. <laughs> yeah, ridiculous. Um, but yeah, like, you know, using NCSA Telnet, you know, before, you know, really the, SS, the switch to SSH really happened. Yeah, um, no, there was no SSH yet for sure. That was that was a yet to be released. I mean, really, the problem of sniffers was was kind of that was the pivotal thing that was going on in security, right? Because Ethernet was just gaining speed, right? And then you know people started having access to large networks when they went to college in the mid '90s, and then you know the uh, the network security of of uh, broadcast networking was become a huge thing, right? Inspired a lot of secure shell stuff, so. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, obviously, like, like we talked about, you know, our main primary reason for being on the internet was was playing games uh, or, or exploring the World Wide Web. Um, but you know, you had that shell access, and you talk to your friends over it you know, using, <laughs> using 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 write or talk. You know, in the years before, why talk even was a thing. Um, and then you you someone write a script, you know, ninety nine bottles of beer on the wall, and 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 wall it to everyone on the shell system, and just like, God damn it. <laughs> I remember that it was like New Year's of like 1995 or something like that. That somebody did that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then there's there was some little little trick that someone had that would um, you could you could write to their terminal and it would it would crash their terminal with a bunch of weird characters or something. And that was like the kind of yeah the first flash hack, yeah. yeah yeah the first hack I remember yeah you could doing that. Uh huh. Compile. Yeah, you could you could grab flash dot c off the internet, and it would send you know the same character codes like when you would accidentally cat like a binary, and it would mess up your terminal types. There were certain characters, and and they would send those via the 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 Unix talk daemon or message daemon. Yeah. 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 So um, so some of the stuff I remember doing, like you know, we'd have, like I said, we knew we knew everyone that that worked there. Um, and there was this one guy. Um, uh, I don't want to get too into who people were or anything, but um, you know, it was kind of a arrogant know-it-all kind of kind of guy and he he thought himself uh you know into security or whatever and and he'd he'd choned his entire home directory to be owned by the user nobody um and you know and this is back when you know, like, <laughs> you know cause his in his in his thought was you know no one could read it right because you know it's not really even a user right it's nobody yeah but that was i mean the web server ran as nobody Right. So, um, yeah, and allowed, and allowed shell script, CGI shell scripting, right? <laughs> right. Right. So, um, one of the, the first hacks I remember doing was, was, was writing this CGI Perl script to copy Ben SH, you know, chone it to nobody. And I just, I made this NSH that sat in my home directory that I could just run that and become nobody on the system. 
and then go right. l- look at whatever you wanted. And, and, and yeah, hor- horizontal privileged escalation one hundred and one, right? Right, right. <laughs> like, and I, I remember I don't you, you have access to to execute code. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if you ever ever knew, but like I'd, I'd like write text files in his directory and be like, "Hey, how's it going?" You know, never did anything else with it, but it was it was useful to understand the the, the methods and models around you know changing user identity without without permission. So. So did you then pivot to get a copy of his shell by like modifying his .cshrc or something or .login file or something like that? No, I never really messed with that right? too much. Trying to pivot again. Um, oh, okay. The, the the more classic thing um, we would do when, when we got access to someone's home you know home directory would would be xhost plus plus. Um, and so then we could see everything that was going on. You know, to attach your X terminal to theirs and and see everything that's going on and you know you can see people browsing news groups see what they're browsing in netscape um use that to uh hack one of the admins accounts so we could um upload a, a trojan quake binary <laughs> but that was that was much later um, <laughs> um he, he was too good at quake so, we couldn't beat him so we insta- <laughs> installed a version that would so, let us have god so mode. Ex- so exploiting the external trust between two two Windows systems that people were using in the office there, and and then being able to to connect a a keyboard sniffer via the X protocol off of one of those systems was was pretty much how you guys were able to uh, to sniff the password, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you know, and I don't think we mentioned, but these were these were next. Next, next. Um, so uh, yes, you know, which did, didn't even run X X natively. They had to run a coexist. Next step coexist uh, uh, was the uh, X server compatibility package that they used to run. It was, it was like this, which was old even for then, right? Those those next boxes were manufactured in like 1992, probably. Or you know, and this was four years later, which in computer times back then was was uh, super ancient. Yeah, and these, I mean, like, so these were, like, we mentioned kind of like, oh, there's their servers, right? But, like, these were, like, the, also the workstations of the employees. Like, Monolith just sat in the corner, and, like, people would just do their work on it <laughs> with everyone else having a bunch of shells on it as well. You know, so it's kind of mm-hmm. a crazy model by today's standards. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to think what else was going on. Yeah, um, so super quirky, uh, kind of the the that quirky sysop you were you were talking about of of you know co- compromising his his account uh, via the the because for some reason he thought it was a good idea to change his shell to nobody. I remember that same guy also. Uh, you know, they to actually get a decent web browser on those next workstations, right? You couldn't run Netscape at the time, right? So they had an Irix SGI that was like also on the desk that they ran Netscape off of and X displayed it onto the next. And I remember he, uh, he set up an account on the Irix that basically just immediately executed Netscape and, and reverse displayed it back via that, that, that X terminal trust or the X host X auth trust. And I remember that like it, it's shell was set to be like a shell script. And so you couldn't really log into it, but if you were actually in the office, you could sit down and immediately log into it. Cause the account had no password and X windows would run, <laughs> you know, like, so, so you could actually sit there. And I, I think I got caught once or twice, <laughs> like using the the uh the sgi and like you shouldn't have an account on that but, yeah but then like whatever happened that you they catch you and you're like oh kevin stop it and that's about it <laughs> <laughs> um but but speaking speaking yeah. of in the office that guy kinda, is uh yeah just just kind of the classic 
quirky sysop of, of the day. Like I think a pretty prototypical. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I guess I mean, kind of, kind of segueing as, as you mentioned in the office stuff, you know, kind of my, the one story that I, I remember um, probably the most was um, this is, you know, a couple of years after, you know, we, we had access to basically everything like, and, and the most nefarious thing we ever do would be, you know, like, because they had a modem pool, right? You know, a friend of ours would be like, oh, well, I can't allow again, the modem pool is full. And then, you know, you kick someone else off the pool so your friend could dial in. Um, it's kind of a dick move, but we did it. Um, but we lost, we, we, you know, through complacency <laughs> or whatever, we, you know, upgrade, you know, just attrition, you know, upgrades of systems, we lost all of our access. Like we didn't have the root password anymore. We didn't have an ex- exploit anymore. Um, and we wanted to gain access back. So we were, you know, hanging out in my friend's basement and uh, hatched this plan that we needed to get root on the radio server again. Um, so we decided that we were going to go over there in the evening because, you know, we hang out there all the time. We know these people. Um, and then with our, our boot and root floppies, we were going to distract whoever was working in the front room and then go back and try to uh, get root on the on the radio server, you know, while this is all like it's kind of weird, like, you know, like mission impossible, like in-person physical scam, <laughs> um, which was really weird. Um, right. So yeah, we- right. So before the system, basically on, on startup, you, you would basically start up your own in it RD or, you know, in basically your own in it shell, uh, instead of running the hard disk operating system, mount the file system and, and, you know, delete the, the root password or something like that. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what we're going to do. You know, it should be a four-minute job. Plan. Yeah, that was the plan. Um, so we head over there, and um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they had that front front conference room. You remember that where everything kind of happened, and then the you know the restroom was back in this hallway, and the restroom was across mm-hmm. the, from the server room. So I excuse myself. Oh, I got to use the restroom, and I go in there in the dark, and I'm like, I'm kneeling down and I'm, I'm rebooting this machine, and you know, boots up on my on my, and it does just fine, and then the root floppy doesn't work. It's like. All right, shit. Okay. Well, that, now what? Now what? I'll try it again. Root floppy doesn't work. And you're like, it's, everything we've done is all all gone to shit because, you know, of, of magnetic <laughs> disk problems. Uh, you know, three and a half inch floppy. Um, and then I go back out and it's like, oh, you know, kind of get the signal. It's time to leave, and you know, didn't work, or whatever. But like, the thing I remember about this is, you know, like, all right, you know, I, I faked you having to go to the bathroom, but then when I got back out there, like. Oh, I didn't. I didn't go to the bathroom, but now I really need to go. But I can't excuse myself again. <laughs> it, it's I don't know. And the, like the adrenaline rush of doing something in person was was not really something I enjoyed. Uh, I would never do something like that again. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's good. You're you're kind of a high stress sometimes anyway. So so amplifying. Yeah, I can imagine that's that would be insane. Yeah, even even just thinking about that kind of gives me a little bit of anxiety. Um, but. <laughs> but like, like you know, like, but with, I mean, really, I mean, we knew the owners and stuff. Like, what's what's the worst that would happen? You know, but yeah, the worst that would happen is they would kick you off the ISP, probably, right? And you'd have to go to like the competitor in town. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't even remember who the competitor was or if there was one, but um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I don't really think they would have like pressed charges or anything like that. It's um, they would have pissed, even but. if they. I think even if they had the like what jurisdiction would even know what to do at that point like i think i think that, and also you're sixteen fifteen sixteen seventeen i i think it would have fizzled out, which i think was the the kind of the the uh 
the emboldening factor, right? Of like, well, what's going to happen? You know, there's, there's no real consequences other than maybe your parents get mad at you. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You can't use a computer, which, which I, if I would have thought about that, that, that would have been awful. <laughs> you know, it's a small town, not, <laughs> nothing to do. And I can't use a computer. Oh, oh crap. You know, that, that'd been worse than getting kicked out of school. Now. Uh, so I also remember maybe this was a little bit later in life, but you know, this, this ISP kind of went through some, you know, acquisition. Hopefully we can, we can get some people on to, to talk about that, that journey. But later on, I, I remember, um, you know, being with you in person somewhere and <laughs> watching you log in as, as a, as some, you know, elevated user on one of the, the, <laughs> the the next ISPs like virtual web server or something like that to to fix something for maybe a friend's dad or for maybe your dad or something like that. But do you remember what that was about? Because that's maybe like upping the game a little bit of like hacking the parent company level <laughs> ISP. After yeah, that. that was not probably wise. Um, and that even extended into um, when I was in college, I'd gone away. I, was, I think I was a freshman, maybe even a, a sophomore at the time. Um, but I still had friends back home, you know? Um, and honestly, I don't even remember how we, what exploit was used or how we got root access, but we'd had, you know, an elevated shell that we could run to just get back access anytime we wanted. Um, and this, this parent ISP that was like, maybe based out of St. Louis or something. Um, uh-huh. they, just, they yep. just, they just bought everything, you know, hook, line, stinker. They bought everything. They didn't change anything. They didn't, you know, install in their own hardware. They just, kept the same hardware the old isp had so we had access to everything still um mm-hmm. and a friend of mine got pissed or ran out of money or something they, and they didn't have an account anymore they got kicked off um and whenever it was discovered they had an account i would just re-enable it just you know okay five minute job you know re-enable your account you're allowed to log in again and these people these this company just kept hunting it down and try, disabling the account, disabling the account, disabling the account. And I, I just keep re-logging it in and just like keep turning it back on. And they never figured it out. Like they never, I think eventually they just reinstalled the entire OS because they, they couldn't figure out what was going on. But I mean, there wasn't really, you know, forensics mm-hmm. and stuff back then. There, those tools didn't exist to, to figure out, um, you know, the, the what, what now you'd call like the kill chain or whatever. I hate that term. <laughs> it seems like it's pretty much on par for today's level of forensics. No, like, do you, do you often, I mean, so, you know, connecting the dots on this, right. You have, uh, you and I have gone on to have, you know, 25 year careers in technology and, and security specifically. Um, do you think that that's, I, I, in some ways it's kind of still reminiscent of that. I, I don't see proper intrusion forensics. Um, you know, that, that seems to be a super rare thing. I mean, it, it, even, even in, banking finance do you have you ever been involved uh maybe maybe i i'm interested here because you kind of went you spend more time with uh you know university our research and education networks things like that is is intrusion forensics a, is a bigger part of the practices where you're where you're working at today or have you ever seen it you know really be done well yeah um i have um and, and luckily not very often <laughs> but being at, like you said, like at research institutions and things like that, like when something bad does happen, mm-hmm. it, there's no like, there's no like board of directors saying, you know, quit what you're doing. We're not making any money. You can just basically have all the time you want to figure out the problem. Right. So mm-hmm. um, uh, a really good example of that is um, 
if, if you want to Google it, I think it's FBI Incident 216, um, which involved um, many uh, national research labs. Um, I was working at NCSA at the time, and there was this hacker out of out of Europe, uh, Staccato, I think was his handle, um, and he broke into a bunch of stuff. He like he stole the code for Cisco routers, I think, and then and distributed it. Um, and we went on like a three to six month long, you know, multi lab, you know, talking to FBI and, and Ooh, in Europe. Cuckoo's egg style, huh? It was it was cool to be. I, mean, I was really only kind of tertiarily involved in that, but like my part of that was forensics on some like IRIX, you know, cluster because no one else really knew how to use the thing. Um, to try and, and you had I, you had IRIX experience from BCL hacking the uh, the SGI Indigo too in the corner. <laughs> I probably didn't know it, but yeah, that's true. Um, <laughs> yeah, we I mean we had I, at the time I think I was maintaining like the Kerberos and SSH installations. So like, and this this attacker had installed a a backdoored SSH binary essentially to capture passwords, and we we tracked it down to every machine they've been on and and everything that they did and what time and um. The forensics was was awesome, super fun. Um, but yeah, you okay, don't now that's, that's connecting some dots for me because I I remember you were also involved in a like a forensics training program in maybe like 2005, and I actually took like you designed an exercise for for maybe what was the, uh, the like FD, FBI partnership for for forensics investigation? There was some like uh, maybe research grant for that. Yeah, uh, as, I think it was 2007, actually. Uh, so you're, 2007? You're, see, well, see, it's not the 90s, so your memory's kind of going. I know, bit. it does fade. <laughs> but I do specifically remember in that exercise that I took, you had backdoored the SSH daemon on the test install. So when you would log in via S- SSH, it would send a UDB packet with the uh, privileges that were, that were used to log in out. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, and you had even... Was... Uh, <laughs> the, the reason I specifically remember it is... Go ahead. Oh no! Um, uh, I mentioned it was it was, uh, okay. it was about a year long ex- uh, training thing we set up. Uh, it was uh, us training mm-hmm. the FBI RCAT agents, um, and it was really fun. It was, I mean, it, it, the harder part about setting up that environment that you d- did was not the like the hacks between the Unix machine or the or the network device, or the Windows machines. It was like trying to come up with all the stuff around it. Like the, you know, what's the backstory? What's all the filler mm-hmm. documents to make it not obvious. It's like, we had the story about how like the secretary was having an affair with someone and sent this email and I don't know. It was, <laughs> yeah. It was ridiculous. Um, Connecting the dots on the story. But then we had to like yeah. pretend to be interviewed by these FBI agents while they were going through the class. And it was, it was fun. It was a good time. <laughs> I remember that. I remember the thing that that uh, actually fooled me in the exercise is you had taken the time to actually rebuild the RPM with your uh, UDP backdoor, you know, uh, uh, packet sender in it. And at the time, like, I, you know, digital forensics 101 for me was like, well, let me check all the uh, RPM signatures against the file file system and see you know what what doesn't match because that's not something that like you were more diligent than any actual hacker i had, I had ever seen in, in real life on his system like doing those forensics and, and that's funny because fool, my, sent me for a loop I, my, my my first job at ncsa was was working on this thing where we were, we were building rpms of packages for ibm um so i spent mm-hmm. you know, like a year or two building rpm so to me it was just like oh of course i'm just going to build this into an rpm that's just what i do 
<laughs> yeah, you would be a you you were a very devilish uh, intruder because I, I think uh, that that was probably pretty unique at the time for sure. Um. Okay. So you know, I, maybe rather than just just having a, an educational or, or fun throwback, do you have any? What did what did these kind of early you know hacks, early types of things being you know being on both sides of it, and you know being a, a sysadmin in the early times? Did you? It, it seems like maybe you took some lessons away from these things, you know that that maybe still industry just hasn't kind of gotten good at yet, or or something that would be surprising. So if if you know from from these you know 1990s experiences do you think that that shaped you know who you were to become as a as a first a, just a, a solid um or strong systems engineer and then later on a uh, a security expert oh yeah absolutely um you know and i uh chat with my friends a bit and you mentioned it kind of early on that we kind of fell into this right you know it just happened to be the mid 90s in a small town and we all hooked up for isp um you know i i, I kind of liken it to like we won the lottery. It was time, right? Like we just hit it at the exact right moment um, mm-hmm. where, you know, we had to learn how everything worked in order to, you know, play games. But in the, in the, in the end, we, you know, we had to learn everything, how everything worked just to get connected. You know, you'd have to, you know, yeah, that kind it. of, that kind of became the game, right. Is like running your own IRC. So like for me, that was, that was the thing of like, you know, being a sysadmin was in fact its own kind of game. Right. Yeah, you know, like you'd install Linux on a machine and like you couldn't get DIP to work. So you had to reboot into your Windows, you know, machine just to go online and read documentation to then reboot into <laughs> Linux to try to figure out how to dial up the damn thing. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then, you know, like right after that, you know, I went to U of I where, you know, all, what, all of a sudden we were on, you know, we were at like 19.2 modems at home. And all of a sudden we have, you know, Ethernet in the dorm room. And it's like, I remember being at one of our friends, you know, a mutual friend of ours. I went over his dorm and we just kept downloading Netscape over and over again because it only took five seconds. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is amazing. Yeah, um, that first but, good bandwidth. Yep. Um, but then, yeah, in, in all this, all these lessons of, you know, how the machines work and all this stuff, that led me into getting a student job as a sysadmin um, uh, for the math department, I think. Um, mm-hmm. And later for a biophysics research lab and, it, it completely changed my career. You know, I, I went to school for being a mechanical engineer um, and I came out um, a security engineer system in, right. Um, and it, it completely changed my path. And, you know, now, you know, I hate working on my home network at home, but it, it's still a job and, and, a, and a field that I love. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah same. I, you know, I mean, I, I think back to all this stuff and the thing that like, I think really sunk in for me is like, if you don't need it, don't install it. And that still like is the number one problem that you see in, in security is just like, you know, bloat, right? Stuff that stuff that doesn't need to be there causing, you know, creating additional attack service and additional problems. So Yeah. Well, I mean um, you know, like yeah. in, you know, like it comes down like, you know, the old tools and stuff to do things, you know, it are invaluable for for just not even security, but just debugging, you know, like how many people have a problem and then you know the first thing they do is is grab S trace and, and look at the system calls. Because mm-hmm. that's really what's going to tell you what's happening, you know, and then kind of backwards from there, um, rather yeah. than trying to look just at like the event log, which is going to tell you nothing. Absolutely. 
All right, Dop. Well, thanks so much for your time. This is a great throwback. Uh, definitely going to talk to you again. Um, I, I think really fun stuff. All right. Yeah. Talk to you soon, bud. Take yeah, care. Wait, better, Kevin. Bye. Okay. So this is where I will give you my feedback on the throwback segment. So number one, <clears throat> I uh, wish that Dop was able to tell us a little bit more about the Trojan quake. You sort of cut him off and, and, and the, the conversation pivoted right there. But uh, that really resonated with me. I was definitely one of those. Nobody is allowed on the home phone because I'm going to play some networked game with my buddy and he has to call me <laughs> directly, right? Tying up the only <laughs> yeah. means of communication for the household. <laughs> uh, so not like that, that just totally hit home. Uh, but I wanted to learn more about how they were sabotaging this guy. Yeah, well, we can definitely ask that on future DOP segments for sure. So, so I loved that. Um, um, okay. I loved the Mission Impossible uh, uh, moment of, of his story, right? And especially <laughs> how he was talking about how anxious it made him, not only at the time of doing his set attack, right? But even retelling it to you now some like probably... 20 years later, maybe Um, that I thought is totally missed in any depiction of real world hacking is like, you know, most of the time, I don't think most of us hackers have like a lot of bravado or I shouldn't say us hackers, not like I was been doing any serious hacking, but you know, we've, I've certainly tried to maliciously do something, you know, uh, on a a minor, maybe familial scale, uh, hacking. Right. And it like, it does get your blood pumping, right? Like you, you, like that, that's not really well conveyed. Uh, the personal aspect of, of it's, I know it's just typing into a computer, but it, it seems dangerous, you know? Uh, so I thought that was hilarious and especially that their hack failed because of, uh, you know, the magnetic, uh, uh, disc failure, right. That, that, that yeah. Awesome. And before we get any, uh, e- emails on the, on the feedback hotline, I know they're three and a half inch floppies. I think I said three and three quarter or something no, like that. I no, the, I, episode, I don't so. think you said that. I, first off, I don't think you I think even I said that. I think Dop Dop correctly, you know, he said three and a half inch, but anyway, yeah. uh, two more things for you on this one. <clears throat> okay. Uh, Another thing that completely hit home was the ultra fast internet speeds when you showed up to college. Like that just blew me away as well. So when he was talking about downloading Netscape over and over again, I was like running MP3 spy on our college network just to like see, you know, all the un, you know, the the, the public shared folders of everybody's MP3s and just downloading more music in probably the first five days of being at college than I had listened to in the entirety of my, my life to that point, you know? Yeah. Uh, so that was amazing. And then finally, not specific to your segment, but, um, I like to listen to podcasts at one and a half times speed. So, uh, listening, <laughs> getting Kevin at one and a half times speed has been great, you know, right straight to the point. Uh, straight to the brain, yeah. <laughs> straight to the brain. Yes, exactly. Maybe we can Mainlining come up with some Kevin sort of IV, Kevin, through my ears. Yeah, so that, that okay. that's been great. All right, well, Dennis, uh, thank you for uh, agreeing to uh, to be a co-host of this podcast. I had a lot of fun. Uh, I came within two. Maybe that's the bar. Can I can I beat you know convincing you to a level within two? I think that sets a good precedent. So I think that's um, good. All right. Well, I'll talk to you next week. Okay. Bye, Kevin. Bye.